This episode is brought to you by Progressive Insurance. Whether you love true crime or comedy, celebrity interviews or news, you call the shots on what's in your podcast queue. And guess what? Now you can call them on your auto insurance too with the Name Your Price tool from Progressive. It works just the way it sounds. You tell Progressive how much you want to pay for car insurance and they'll show you coverage options that fit your budget. Get your quote today at Progressive.com to join the over 28 million drivers who trust Progressive. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Price and coverage match limited by state law. in he comes in <laughs> and oh bob is here he is in and ready to go you know first of all <laughs> let's put it this way yeah effective wednesday of this week that radio.com app becomes even more important Absolutely. i'd get that downloaded today if i were you if you haven't done so mr minko is i have keep... it downloaded I'm, I'm sure you do Lots, I'm sure you good things on there. Yes, there are, as a matter including of fact. this program. Well, all right, and you know, we're just setting the table, as I like to say on Sunday mornings. Now, Anne Ligoria's long talking golf after our seven o'clock update this Sunday morning. <laughs> we always look forward to uh, that program. There's lots of good information there. Mink is going to keep us up to date on happenings in the sporting world. We have a busy show today. Um, I'm Bob Salter, and I'm very pleased to say that we have two guests who are joining us on our program today to take us into a discussion about a topic that in all the years of doing this show, we have uh, actually never explored. Um, we're going to be talking about the topic known as Usher Syndrome. You're going to find out what that's all about. Joining us on our program are two guests, as I mentioned. Uh, Rebecca Alexander is joining us on our program, Rebecca, and her background is an author, a psychotherapist, a um, group fitness instructor. Uh, she's been an advocate um, and an extreme athlete, and she has quite a story to share with us. Also joining us on our program is a gentleman that she has been uh, working with in an effort to try to spread awareness about um, Usher syndrome. Dr. Daniel Labby is joining us on our program. By his profession, he's an ophthalmologist, and um, he's got a lot to share with us as well, talking about this topic. First of all, good morning to both of you. Welcome to our program on The Fan. Thank you. Thank you. Good morning, Bob. And good morning. I guess in beginning this discussion, we need to perhaps set the stage as to what we mean when we use this term Usher syndrome. Who wants to tackle that? Uh, okay, so I'll just give you a very brief overview. Usher syndrome is the leading cause, uh, genetic cause of deaf blindness uh, in the U.S. and it's around the world as well. Um, and it basically causes uh, exactly what it suggests, both progressive um, blindness and deafness. Um, and there are three types. The first type of Usher syndrome, you're born completely deaf and you're gradually losing your vision and your vision loss tends to happen more rapidly. 
Type 2, you're born with a set amount of hearing loss and you're progressively losing your vision and your hearing loss uh, tends to decline later in your life. And type 3, which is the most recently identified, uh, which is the form that I have, uh, causes both progressive vision and hearing loss, but has a milder onset. Uh, so I was born with relatively normal hearing loss, uh, sorry, relatively normal hearing with just a cookie bite of hearing loss. I'm now 39 years old and um, I'm cochlear implanted on both ears. So without my cochlear implants, I'm completely deaf, but with them, I hear very, very well. And uh, my vision now is a normally sighted person has about 180 degrees of vision when looking straight ahead. Mm-hmm. And I have about 10 degrees of my central most vision. So to try to explain that for for those of us who that may be a difficult thing for us to imagine, if you're looking at something that is directly in front of you, do you see that directly or do you see things that are more in the peripheral? Uh, no. So central most vision is what's directly in front of me. And um, so generally the vision part of Usher syndrome is caused by what's called retinitis pigmentosa or mm-hmm. RP. And that generally causes tunnel vision and affects your peripheral vision first. So I happen to have a very small sliver of, of peripheral vision, but so as not to confuse any of uh, your listeners. In, in general, it means that I, I see basically like looking through two straws. Wow. Um, so, Bob, if you think, of, if you think about um, a batter at the plate and he's looking towards the pitcher, He'll only see the pitcher's head and, and the area around the arms. He won't see anything on third base, on first base. He won't see anything around second base. Just sees that very central part of the of the baseball diamond, if you think about it. That's central vision loss or central vision. How do you get used to that? <laughs> well, it's, uh, it, it's definitely not easy. I mean, it, it takes... Um, you know, which you probably don't talk a lot about this in sports, but it is a somewhat of a it's a very physical experience, obviously, because, uh, you know, it causes you to have to constantly be adapting to your environment. I've now been trained um, in a cane and I use it uh, and it really helps me navigate. Uh, oftentimes it's helpful to use my cane mostly to get people out of my way, even if I see well in a particular <laughs> environment. Uh, but um but I, I think that for most people, you know, experiencing um, vision loss, whether it's from Usher syndrome or any retinal degenerative condition, it's a very emotional experience. And um, and if you don't really allow yourself to sort of feel the emotions that come with it, that are very similar to sort of death and dying, the grief and the loss that comes with it, then uh, I think sometimes you don't adapt as well and people become very angry or they become very isolated or depressed. So. Uh, it is something that people really need to make connections with others about, whether with other people who have retinal degenerative conditions like Usher syndrome or um, even just being involved in your community in some form with others who can um, support you. Mm. You were told early on that by age 30, you would be completely blind. As I understand that's what you were told. Um, yeah. Obviously, uh, at this point, that has has not occurred. Um, is there any indication exactly why that's the case? Well, 
there isn't, um, except that, you know, there's only, there's only so much that doctors can really tell you. I mean, they can give you sort of a trajectory based on what they've seen in the past or, you know, depending on how common um, a particular condition is. Now, Usher syndrome is an orphan disease, um, which means that there are not as many people affected with it, uh, or at least there may be more people affected with it than we actually know. We just have to spread awareness and get people uh, diagnosed so that we can help, you know, find uh, treatment. Um, so we don't know why it is, but I can tell you that it's, as a psychotherapist, it's so interesting to have people who have a full 180 degrees of vision um, and who are far more sort of, I think, unhappy um, and unfulfilled in their lives. And with just 10 degrees of vision, I'm constantly reminded of what I can see still. That 10 degrees of vision for most people would seem absolutely um, terrifying. And for me, it's such, it, it feels like so much hope. Uh, and I feel so fortunate even to have the vision that I still have. Hmm. How did you get started as an athlete? Because you've accomplished quite an awful lot in an athletic background. Um, well, you know, what's interesting about uh, doing like extreme athlete sports and teaching fitness classes is that, you know, I can't control what's happening to my vision, my hearing, I, I can't control that I'm going deaf and blind. But for all intents and purposes, the rest of my body is just as physically capable as anybody else's. And um, I, I actually, when I was 18, was in a big accident. And it's a whole, that's a whole other show for you. But um, I broke just about most of the bones in my body. And so I had to be rehabilitated. And so as many athletes are, we get injured, whether it's, you know, not usually through an accident, but through overuse and, um, you know, constant use of our muscles and our bodies. And for me, it's a way to not only, you know, avoid injury and keep myself healthy and active, but my body can do just as much as anybody else's. I just have to adapt to whatever, you know, my circumstances are. So I do like CrossFit, uh, the high intensity interval training, and I do these extreme athlete races. I just have someone who runs with me as my, um, you know, as like my, my race mate. Mm. And how did you and Dr. Lobby start, start working together? I'll let him tell you that story. <laughs> well, it's a, it's, it's a, it's a good story. I think, uh, through uh, through family, we uh, uh, family met each other, and uh, um, Rebecca's dad talked to my wife, and we had uh, a lot in common in terms of what she likes to do and what I like to do. And you heard what Rebecca does, and she does it very very well. What I do is is eye care, and specifically eye care for athletes. Um, normally, what we try to do is to enhance uh, people's vision for their athletic sport to perform better at the sport that they uh, that they want to. Uh, kind of enhancing the vision I have. And we had the idea, Rebecca and I together, that maybe we can do the same thing to enhance the vision that remains for her to make it even more useful as we do for the athletes. And um, Rebecca came to the office. We were able to do a couple different things with her, do some testing. And as I mentioned earlier, hitting a baseball really only requires a central vision. So this is an area that in baseball I've been working for about 25 years to try to enhance the vision of batters. And what we found is a lot of similarity. And by doing those same techniques with Rebecca, not only were we able to show subjectively, but also objectively on testing and through Rebecca's experience that that training was able to make her vision more useful, more more immediate. 
Um, and we published a paper actually about that this past summer, this summer a few weeks ago, describing the techniques we used and how the effect uh, helped her. Hmm. And is it your hope that that paper will perhaps spur more um, research discussion in this area? Exactly. It, it's really the question, as Rebecca mentioned, uh, most people have have vision that they don't really use, and most people have muscle and athletic ability they don't really use. And mm -hmm. by combining the two, whether you're fully sighted or you're partially sighted, that we can make vision more useful and therefore make yourself more productive and more efficient and better at what you want to do. So hopefully we can spread that word around and people can take up the cause and uh, use maximize the vision that remains or maximize the vision that you have for the best of your ability. Okay. One of the reasons for our discussion today, and we're going to talk more in depth about this as we move into the uh, second segment of our discussion, is to talk about, first of all, uh, Rebecca is actually going to be throwing out uh, first pitch on um, Tuesday night in uh, baseball game. Uh, we'll talk about what that experience is um, like and exactly what your hope is in terms of trying to raise awareness. I know you're working with uh, Major League Baseball as well and try to share some of that information. We're talking with two guests on our program, talking about this topic of Usher syndrome. Rebecca Alexander is uh, talking with us as well as Dr. Daniel Lobby. And um, they are with us for our entire show this morning. I'm Bob Solter. We are along until 7 after our 7 o'clock update, which Mr. Minko will bring us. Anne Ligori is along, and she'll be talking golf here on The Fan. It's Sunday morning on The Fan. Good morning, everybody. This is Bob Salter. It's uh, Ann Ligori's Talking Golf along after our 7 o'clock update on The Fan this and every Sunday morning during the summer. We are in a discussion about the topic of Usher Syndrome with two guests who have joined us, Rebecca Alexander and uh, Dr. Daniel Lobby of talking with us on our program. Uh, Rebecca is actually on Tuesday going to be throwing out the uh, first pitch, and um, that's part of a... Uh, a campaign to raise awareness about Usher syndrome that you've been involved in, um, both of you, along with Major League Baseball. How did this um, campaign come about, and what exactly are you hoping to do with this? Well, um, so how did this campaign come about? Well, what Dr. Labby, um, I'm not sure, has told you or whether your viewers know, is that he's actually uh, a very big deal in the Major League Baseball world. Um, and he probably won't toot his own horn because he's incredibly humble um, and one of the most generous people you'll um, ever meet and um, also very, very dedicated to his work. But he's really helped, um, you know, the Astros and uh, the Cubs get to the World Series by, you know, training uh, their athletes in in sports vision, um, really being able to fine tune their their vision for, um, you know, to play the game. And so, um, in in with that in mind, uh, in training me with my still remaining usable vision, um, we realized, well, there's got to be some way to, you know, marry the two of these or get them, um, you know, put this together and really help us spread the word about Usher syndrome. You know, as I mentioned earlier in the segment, it is an orphan disease. 
um, which means that there are many people who are actually living out there in the world with it who have not yet been diagnosed. So the more people we get diagnosed, the more awareness there is, the more people we have to really present even to the research and scientific communities uh, for the need for treatment. Um, so we have a lot of really promising uh, research happening around the country and the world for that matter, but it certainly, we would do um, a lot more and go a lot further with having people with the right and uh, proper diagnoses, that is not only just their diagnoses with Usher syndrome, but also the subtype that they have, Usher 1, 2, or 3, again, as I mentioned earlier. Um, and, uh, and also to really help people know that they're not alone. If you can imagine for even a you know, blink of an eye uh, what it might be like to be losing not just your vision, but your hearing as well. Um, it's an incredibly daunting and overwhelming process, but there are a lot of people out there who are living with this condition. And I think when, when you hear people describe Usher syndrome or any type of debilitating condition, you hear people use words like suffer um, or being robbed of. And I think that sort of engenders this feeling or idea that without vision and hearing or while losing it, that your life does not have quality or that you don't have the ability to challenge yourself and live with meaning. Uh, and so that's part of the awareness as well, is being able to uh, show people that you can live with Usher syndrome and have a very fulfilling, meaningful life. And part of the way you do that as your Yankees fans or baseball fans, I'm sorry, do, uh, is with community. When you're talking about an event like Tuesday night, um, what's that going to mean for you to throw out that first pitch? Well, um, I, I really have to thank Dr. Labby for connecting us and really um, getting the, the MLB on board uh, to help us spread awareness because this is way above his, you know, sort of call of duty. Um, so I'm eternally grateful to him for that, for this opportunity. But more than that, um, to be able to really put a face to Usher syndrome. Uh, there are so many people who live with shame and uh, who live with fear. And to, um, to sort of represent the community and, and show people and that they, you know, that we are out there and uh, that we are here as a community to really help each other. Uh, get through a very different experience of living life with vision and hearing loss, but also um, to provide a sense of of community for everyone. It's it's just I'm so excited, and because when I get excited, sometimes I cry. I may I may be so happy and so excited that I have tears in my eyes when I do it too, just because I'm so proud of what we're doing and to be a part of this community. I think I think Bob, one of the things to um keep in mind is that everybody has a unique set of abilities and whether it's the, the baseball uh, athletes that we see or football players or, or basketball players, everyone has a unique set of abilities. Some of those are visual abilities. Some of the people have sharper vision. Some people need glasses. Some people have wider fields of vision. Some people only have central fields of vision. Some people frankly have talent to hit a baseball and other people have talent to throw football. You think of Michael Jordan and a couple other Tim Tebow players who who you think may be athletes that have abilities everywhere, and no one has an ability everywhere. And everyone's unique combination of abilities should lead them to do what they can perform the best at. And I think one of the things we hope to achieve on Tuesday is making the, 
the fans in the stadium and hopefully those watching from outside aware that whether you have a vision uh, disability or you have a vision ability or you have a sport ability, everyone is unique and has a package they put together. And some people have a package that works good on the baseball diamond. Other people have a package that works good in business or in other fields. And that to motivate yourself to use whatever package you have to the best of your ability is probably what's going to make you happiest and most successful. And I think that's kind of a sub-message that we hope to get out in addition to the awareness of this uh, syndrome, which frankly is not that rare. About 1 in 20,000 roughly uh, people suffer from it. Uh, I'm not going to use the word suffer, but I will say have that have that spectrum of, of abilities. Uh, 1 in 20,000 is a fairly common um, problem. It's not extremely, extremely rare, but it's not something you see every day. And when we talk about this idea of diagnosis, because this is something that Rebecca mentioned a few moments ago, um, and saying, and this struck me, that there are people who are living with this who it's never been diagnosed. And at the time I thought, well, how could you be living with it and it never have been diagnosed? Can you explain that? Yeah, remember, remember Usher syndrome is a combination of hearing loss with the vision loss. And so there are actually a fair number of people that have the vision loss component without the hearing component. And it affects, as Rebecca mentioned, the peripheral vision initially. And similar to other eye diseases besides retinitis pigmentosa, part of Usher syndrome, things like glaucoma affect your peripheral vision before it affects your central vision. So many people actually don't realize they lose their periphery until they start bumping into things on the side or have severe difficulty having lost their middle vision even, not just the periphery. So I think there's a lot of people that don't go to eye exams, don't get their eyes checked regularly. No one is able to diagnose the pigment changes in the back of the eye because they never see it. People don't realize that they're losing that vision and don't know that they have this condition. And, you know, another part of that um, is that oftentimes people with Usher syndrome are diagnosed with the hearing loss first. And just as Dr. Labby just mentioned, you know, peripheral vision for some people uh, you know, it, it obviously, um, at least initially, is harder to detect sometimes than, than the loss of central vision. Um, but it also affects, first and foremost, your night vision uh, before your daytime vision. So a lot of people may have difficulty seeing at night. But again, because it's dark, you know, who can, who can say, you know, what they see, uh, you know, at night clearly? Because in the dark, it's difficult for a lot of people to see. Um, but, but so for many people, they get the hearing loss first, uh, and then they start to notice some changes in their vision. Again, there are any number of combinations. I happen to be, um, you know, know about my vision, uh, before my hearing loss. I, again, as I said, I was born with about a cookie bite of hearing loss, but we didn't know that it was progressive. And we thought, um, that, you know, maybe that the hearing loss actually came from, you know, ha having ear infections or, or something like that. So, yeah, it's a good question. And I think the answer, the answer really is the, the need for routine, you know, medical care and specifically routine eye care um, to pick up whether you have a slight peripheral vision loss, whether it's due to retinitis pigmentosa, potentially Usher syndrome, due to glaucoma, uh, due to a varied number of diseases that can affect visual function, which most of them can be intervened on. Unfortunately, we don't have any great treatment to reverse the retinal loss in this in these cases, but there are plenty of eye diseases that that are fairly common. That if we can diagnose them early, we can intervene 
and really limit people's loss. And with Usher syndrome, how um, is it? Is it a challenge to diagnose that in an infant? It, it is. It is actually in the early cases, it's very hard to diagnose because you don't see the typical pigment changes or coloration changes that occur in the retina that make it very easy to diagnose. Mm -hmm. And so you do have to rely on other other testing, other electrical testing, other imaging testing to try to, to diagnose it, along very importantly with the history, with the family history, potentially some genetic evaluation. And I think Rebecca can tell you about the genetics involved in, um, in Usher syndrome. You really need to bring multi-factors to bear on trying to make the diagnosis based on what the patient is experiencing or what the testing shows. Well, and, and so, it, it, again, it depends on what type of Usher syndrome um, a child is born with. You know, these days, um, there's so much genetic testing able to be done. Uh, and part of what genetic testing can help with is, is determining um, or being able to diagnose a condition that may not have manifested itself yet, um, you know, in an infant. Um, but if, a, if an infant is diagnosed with um, hearing loss early on, it certainly can be, um, you know, uh, screened for through genetic testing, through blood work. Um, but so but th that is a good question because many people, and I think that there are people who are becoming, um, who are getting diagnosed earlier and earlier now as science has continued and technology has continued to um, improve over time, that they're able to get earlier diagnoses and therefore, um, you know, the appropriate interventions and also the type of support that families and infants and, uh, and children need um, are able to be implemented and sought after uh, much earlier on. When you talk about the appropriate interventions, interventions like what? Interventions like, well, uh, you know, simple, as simple as hearing aids or, you know, their um, infants are able to be, if, if they decide to be cochlear implanted, uh, they can do that as, as early as, you know, six months to a year old. Um, and so that will help them with, you know, learning to hear um, um, and, and the ability to speak. Hearing is an auditory skill, as you know. Um, and again, depending on vision loss, you know, a student may need, by the time they get to school age, they may need some, um, you know, adaptive technology for school. Uh, they may need to have their print enlarged uh, for, you know, textbooks, or they may need to make sure that they sit closer to the, to the uh, blackboard. You know, when I was younger, um, I was told that I had my head in the clouds and that I was a daydreamer um, in class. And what we didn't know was that I actually probably didn't hear or see as well as, as the other students. But because we didn't know that, um, you know, I, I think I was I was typecasted as a cheerleader, which I never was, by the way. <laughs> um, <laughs> so and I think I tried to overcompensate uh, for that um, <laughs> later in life. Um but anyway, so yeah, so so it it just really does give you a lot of information. Um, you know, for me, I, I personally, yes, I use cochlear implants and they're very helpful. Uh, but I also, as I mentioned, without my cochlear implants, I'm completely deaf, and I learned sign language and later tactile sign language, which is this beautifully um, intimate and uh, intricate language of the deaf blind. And using sign language for me has so greatly improved um, and enhanced my life. And it's a personal decision, but there are many, many, many people who have Usher syndrome who uh, type one who were never, you know, never had 
uh, assistive listening devices, whether it were hearing aids or cochlear implants. And so they are only uh, signers. They do not hear at all um, or benefit from the use of hearing aids, um, and they have vision loss. So they really are, you know, going completely deaf and blind. How much of an adjustment was it for you with the cochlear implants? Oh, man. Um, so cochlear implants, <laughs> so I, sh- I should mention that I was an ideal candidate for a cochlear implant, meaning that as you hear, I don't have impaired speech, and I'm incredibly fortunate for that, for mm-hmm. my hearing loss to have been later uh, in my life, meaning that so my biggest dip in hearing loss was at the age of about 19, and as I mentioned, I'm 39 now. Um, so uh, when that happened, I experienced what most people or many people with hearing loss experience, um, and that is tinnitus, which is the ringing of the ears um, or head noise. And it can be incredibly distracting and uh, almost um, it, it can make you feel like you're losing your mind initially because it's as though you're hearing sounds that don't exist um, and, a, and a ringing that is so loud. Uh, and you can't do anything to get rid of it because it's, it's in your, in your head. It's your brain's way of trying to overcompensate or compensate for the hearing that it's lost. But so having said that, um, getting cochlear implanted for me was, was the best thing I could have done to restore hearing because I knew what hearing sounded like. It's digital. Um, so your brain takes time to adjust and there's a relearning process. And that relearning process is laborious. You need people to read to you. You need to constantly be listening uh, to identify what things sound like. The sound of a car honking, the sound of a door opening, the sound of water running, um, the way the difference between hearing the words say, day, way, may, kay. You know, those are all you have to hear uh, and relearn the new consonants or the consonants at the beginning of each of those words so that you can discriminate uh, language as well. Rebecca, we're going to take a pause in our discussion with you and with uh, Dr. Lobby. Come back, talk more with you as we continue on our program. And Liguori's Talking uh, talking Sports follows our 7 o'clock update on the fan. Radio.com. It's Sunday morning on The Fan. Good morning, everybody. This is Bob Salter. We have a good time in our discussion talking about this topic of Usher syndrome with our guests, Rebecca Alexander, and um, also joining us, Dr. Daniel Lobby. And um, they've shared an awful lot of information with us thus far in our discussion. Um, You know, talking about Usher syndrome, though, and this kind of goes back to something that was stated in the very first segment of this discussion. And that is the psychological side of this. And I guess I'm asking a psychotherapist about the psychological side of it, Rebecca. Um, how do you explain when people ask you what it's like to deal with that? Well, um, you know, I, I think it's it's difficult for any of us to try to explain to others what our experience of living and life is like, whatever our challenges might be. Um, you know, one of the things that, that Dr. Labby and I, um, you know, obviously he's, and we will talk a little bit more about the type of the work that we do and how it um, really helped enhance the vision that I still have. Um, 
But one of the things that we've both sort of always um, seen eye to eye on, no pun intended or pun intended, but um, is that, you know, people often focus, whether you're visually impaired or hearing impaired or whatever your circumstances are, or often whether, you know, um, through our own sort of uh, self-criticism or in the world that we live in with all of the media and social media, we're constantly told um, that we're not, you know, pretty enough, we're not smart enough, we're not strong enough, we're not rich enough, we're not whatever it is, instead of being reminded of all the things that we are and all the things that we have. Um, and, you know, all of us have different abilities. Um and none of us are perfect. Nobody is perfect. And so being aware of what your strengths are and what you can do um, is what really leads to a sense of fulfillment, um, as opposed to constantly focusing on the things that you can't do or being reminded of the things that you are not. Um, and so I really try to employ that in my life. I certainly know that that's, um, you know, how Dr. Labby, um, you know, preaches sort of or practices with his patients. And so to others, I do say to them that when you're going through Usher syndrome and when you're experiencing the loss, just like anything else, you do have to allow yourself to, unfortunately, there's a catchphrase, but it's very, um, it's, it's very important. And that is you have to feel it to heal it. You really have to allow yourself to experience the emotions that come with it so that you can move forward and continue to live your life uh, in a way so that you're not being held back uh, by fear or depression or anxiety. And you also have to be able to talk about it. And that's part of why I wanted to be on the show this morning. Mm. You know, the natural thought for a lot of people is going to be, though, the days where so many people will will think of the concept of why me uh, coming to four and 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 I guess being able to to deal with that to feel your emotions and also because it sounds like what you're saying is you also have to put things in perspective absolutely I mean I you know it's funny I, the whole why me um, question has never it's never crossed my mind. And, and I don't know if, you know, my grandmother, who is about, she's actually a hundred years old, a hundred and a half years old. <laughs> Good for her. She, um, yeah. She, and a, and a monster Cubs fan. Um, I actually <laughs> uh, threw out the first pitch at, at Wrigley um, in June and she made it from California to Chicago to be there for it. But um, anyway, she, you know, when I was growing up, she always, you know, said to me that nobody promised me a, a rose garden. And I think the problem is, is that everybody or not everybody, many, many people feel like they were promised a rose garden is that it is like liberty and the pursuit of happiness. But happiness isn't something that just comes to you. You actually really do have to seek it out. And you have to do that, um, I think, by recognizing that being alive, being human does not mean that you are guaranteed um, you know, like privilege. It does not mean that you're guaranteed the ability to hear and see. These are gifts. These are things that we have to be uh, aware and, and grateful of because they are not certain uh, for everyone. And so the why me, I guess, never occurred to me because I, I'm also very aware of the fact that I, I unfortunately was passed on a very rare recessive gene 
that manifested itself in me from both of my parents. And that's how this came to be. And if I'm being completely honest, you know, as difficult and challenging as it is to go deaf and blind, and as much as it affects me, and as much as I have to cry and mourn the loss myself, it has provided the most incredible sense of meaning and connection and intimacy uh, for me in my life with my friends and family uh, and, and the world that I never believed or even knew was possible when I was growing up. Mm. Dr. Lobby, is that at all typical of what you hear from patients? Yeah, you know, and I think it's not just the patients um, that I care for in my, we'll say, medical practice as opposed to my sports uh, sports vision practice. Mm-hmm. And I hear it from both sides. You know, I had a, I had a uh, someone in um, a couple weeks ago who we were talking. He's a high school uh, baseball player and wants to play baseball. And hopefully, get drafted. And we're talking about what happens if he doesn't get drafted or if he gets drafted and doesn't go very far. You know, everyone has challenges. You know, I, I wanted to play baseball when I was a kid, and I played little league, and I was good for about a year and a half until. People grew and threw faster, and I couldn't hit anymore. And if I wanted to be involved with sports, I had to find a different a different path to be involved. Unfortunately, you know, I found a path through medicine that's led me to a 25, 30 year career working with professional athletes. So I don't get to play professional sports, but I at least get to be involved in, in helping those athletes perform. And that's the same thing with people in the medical practices. How can we leverage what we can do to be successful? Um, and to make ourselves happy as opposed to thinking about what we can't do. Like I couldn't play baseball in the little league or in high school. Um, and I think that's really the key is to have that perspective. And if you have that perspective, people connect with that. And when you're trying to help them get better and, and be happier or perform better in their, with their vision, uh, they're going to be more, more likely to buy in and, and do the things that you suggest, like the eye exercises that we do with Rebecca to try to maximize their ability and, and achieve what they want. Where do those types of activities take you and, and, and take Rebecca in terms of things, and she alluded to this a couple of minutes ago, um, the kind of things that you've done to try to enhance the vision that she has. So I can, I'll give you the, the technical side of it, and then, I, then you know, I think uh, it's very helpful for Rebecca to give the, her personal side of how that helped her. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, what, what, vision is much more than just being able to see clearly, you know, a letter on the street. For vision to be useful, you have to be able to see that, but then you have to be able to use that vision to create a motor movement, really, to get around, to pick up something, to move, to make a decision, to do something. And so what we did was uh, work in specific areas that were challenging for Rebecca, and that was the area of hand-eye coordination, to have her marry what she sees with a decision to act and then an actual motor action, a motor movement of the hands uh, or the feet to achieve an action. And in, when the vision isn't that sharp or it's not that wide a field, sometimes that can be somewhat hesitant. And by increasing the fluidity, if you will, of that movement, of that vision to motor action pathway, uh, we can have a, make a difference. The other thing we wanted to work on was the idea of visual concentration or multiple target tracking. And we have a system that we can evaluate and test and train that allows somebody to concentrate on what they see and also to track multiple targets. You can imagine walking around the city, uh, there's multiple targets everywhere you turn, cars, pedestrians, garbage cans, things on the street. You have to be able to track and pay attention to all those targets simultaneously. And that system is able to evaluate and train that. Those are the two areas that we mainly worked with Rebecca on. And what has this meant for you, Rebecca? 
Well, um, <laughs> you know, the, the funny thing is, is that I'm actually very competitive, not necessarily with other people, but with myself. Mm-hmm. Um, <laughs> and um, so I, for me, um, you know, having that sort of athlete mentality, I love challenging myself. I love finding out what I'm capable of. I love seeing how, you know, practice um, and hard work sort of pays off. And so um, it's a lot of fun. I mean, I think for, for I, I don't know if everybody with, with vision loss um, or, you know, fully sighted people who do the work with Dr. Lavi would feel this way, but I, I, I really enjoy it. Um, you know, we basically use the same, uh, you know, technology and the tools that he uses with professional athletes. I just use it on a much smaller sort of scale in terms of um, a, a much smaller field with what I have. Um, but being able to, you know, sort of identify um, a target and immediately, as he was talking about the hand-eye coordination, immediately be able to sort of respond to it and see my response time improve. Uh, you know, many people in New York City um, the surrounding areas have either been, you know, hit by a car, not because they don't see well, because there's just so much commotion and so much action uh, and so much to be aware of. And I've been hit by, I can't even tell you, probably over four or five, uh, you know, cabs in my time living in New York City, um, which is about 16 years. And um, so doing the work with him is, for me, it's been not only fun because I get to challenge myself and really uh, find out what I'm capable of, but it feels very empowering. It feels like I'm not just sort of sitting around and allowing this to happen. I'm really taking charge and making the most of what I have. You know, as I'm listening to you, I'm thinking also about what very often um, people will say is almost overstimulation visually in an area like New York because it's just there's so much going on. Um, and I guess, is it kind of a, a balancing act, you know, when you're dealing with Usher syndrome too? Yeah. I mean, I think for everybody, it's overstimulation with both hearing and vision. And, you know, the first thing I do when I come home from work or the end of the day is I take my cochlear implants off and it is like, you know, as as much as people can't imagine what it's like to lose your hearing, for me, it's also been like my own sense. It's like my religion, my own sense of solace, my peace at the end of the day. Um, But with vision, you know, you're constantly having to overcompensate when you don't have full vision by, you know, um, scanning constantly. And and you will see people with vision loss, oftentimes their eyes are darting because their eyes are trying to get as much information as they can with the limited vision that they have. So it is very difficult to navigate New York City. I think for a lot of people, that's why, you know, people don't start using their cane when they need it until oftentimes anywhere between about five to 15 years after they really should be using it. Um, And and that's another thing that I sort of want to help sort of spread awareness about. And that is that like use a cane, not only to help you, particularly in New York city uh, to navigate, but also to sort of, you know, alert others that they, they need to get out of your way. Mm. Interesting discussion that we are having um, with Rebecca and um, Dr. Lobby. And one of the thoughts that I've been having throughout this discussion is in talking about Usher syndrome. What is it that um, folks who are listening to our discussion today, what do you want them to take away from this chat? I'll let Dr. Lavi answer that first. (laughs) 
<laughs> well, I, th I think that the, the most important point that I would make is make sure you have regular eye care. Uh, Usher syndrome is something that, you know, when you're, when you're 80 years old, you're going to know you had Usher syndrome or not. It, it manifests long before that. But even when you're younger, if you're 50, if you're 40, if you're 30, regular health care, eye care is really the key to maximizing the abilities you have and protecting and preserving um, your health into the future. And I think far too many people don't pay attention to routine eye care. They're on their warranty still, and they feel like they see well. They don't have to go to the eye doctor. And I think they could miss a lot of things, like Rebecca has mentioned, the implants, the cane, if they need that, getting it in time, the diagnosis soon enough to either uh, maximize ability or the ability to avoid further loss. All can be done if you have regular eye care and, in the broader sense, health care. So that, that's kind of the, the bottom line. Uh, and I think there's many other pieces beyond that that are that are critical as well. Rebecca, yeah, um, you know, first and foremost, I you know, I want I really want people to know that they're not alone in what they when what they deal with and what they uh, live with on a daily basis. Whether it's Usher syndrome or again any type of um, debilitating condition, it could be mental, physical, uh, emotional, and and so part of that is being able to you know get the word out. Um, that we are all living um, with something. And uh, as, as far as Usher syndrome goes, um, I really do want people to live their lives with fulfillment and to know that there is, there is no shame in this. I think that there really has been a lot uh, that has happened in terms of the progression of the way we view people with disabilities. Um, and I, I'm here to sort of show people that disabilities does not mean that your life is now going to be relegated to, um, you know, to, to not being able to find meaning and fulfillment, that you can live just as strong and fulfilling of a life as anybody else. Um, so, yeah, I, I, I'm, I'm really, really looking forward to the game on Tuesday. We're going to have a great crowd there from the Usher community and also uh, a public service announcement and even the ability to text and donate um, to help raise funds for research to find treatment for uh, the vision loss. Very interesting discussion. Um, hopefully, folks listening to us this morning learned some things as well. I know I did. Rebecca Alley. This episode is brought to you by Progressive Insurance. Whether you love true crime or comedy, celebrity interviews or news, you call the shots on what's in your podcast queue. And guess what? Now you can call them on your auto insurance too with the Name Your Price tool from Progressive. It works just the way it sounds. You tell Progressive how much you want to pay for car insurance and they'll show you coverage options that fit your budget. Get your quote today at Progressive.com to join the over 28 million drivers who trust Progressive. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Price and coverage match limited by state law.